Good day, folks. Welcome to Season 2 of Not Just Business. We have some super interesting topics and speakers this season, and this episode is no exception. Artificial intelligence, or AI for short, is something which conjures up all kinds of images depending on who you are. From aliens to robots to doing our jobs to really helpful creatures like Alexa and Siri to targeting specific people or groups with fake news or, or those ubiquitous ads that pop up on every web page we visit shortly after browsing for the same product online. And I'm fairly sure most of us have only a very limited understanding of what AI is and what it can do for us and, of course, the risks that it brings. So I'm very pleased to have on the line today a man who is one of the world authorities on this subject, Dr. Jacques Ludic. Welcome, Jacques, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Derek. It's a pleasure to be here. Looking forward to the discussion. I read your CV, which is uh, seriously impressive. <laughs> Not only have you had a, a fairly stellar academic career, like cum laude passes in all your university degrees, and of course a PhD, you don't certainly don't come across as a, as a typical academic nerd. <laughs> you, you've written more academic papers and I've got socks in my wardrobe to cover several pages and things of your, of your CV. And not only do you speak at conferences internationally, but you're also something of a serial entrepreneur. So currently you're the founder and chief executive of the Cortex Group and CEO of Cortex Logic, which does AI for companies and other organizations. You're also founder and president of the Machine Intelligence Institute of Africa. So, Jacques, that's quite an CV. So, where did it all start? Yeah, so, Derek, yeah, thanks. It's where I am right now. But uh, as you rightly say, there is a history, and I almost didn't choose this route initially. I was always interested in math and computers and applying it. And, and uh, at university, I just discovered, wow, this is an interesting subject, this machine and learning and stuff. And I was doing programming and and, and taught, started playing with data and so forth. And I got really hooked. And I did my honors and master's and my PhD in the field of neural networks or artificial intelligence. And I think at that time, it was, I think it was probably one of the first PhDs in AI in South Africa because it's a fairly new field. It's not like physics or chemistry or some of these other subjects. Yeah, so anyway, so I got on, into it and uh, I was ready for an academic career and, and doing stuff. So I was obviously into research and trying to improve the state of the art in AI. But then at that same time, when, when I was at Stellenbosch University, I just started to collaborate. I see, wow, this is powerful technology that can make a difference in so many applications. And I was starting to collaborate with the business school, with chemical engineering, with electronic engineering and all these different departments and it was even a collaboration with the department of psychiatry so and uh, me and professor dan stein we wrote a book we were kind of editors and authors of a book neural networks and psychopathology and we were actually building these neural network models of brain disorders and he's like a world expert in obsessive compulsive disorder and all these kind of disorders and so it was just fascinating for me to start applying AI in all these various areas. And I just realized, wow, there's incredible opportunities to, to actually start a business around this. And that's where it all started. So um, towards the latter part of the 90s, the same time Google started, I started uh, Seizing Systems. And that was 
Eventually, the first AI company sold to a multinational, to General Electric, in 2011. But it was a wonderful experience that it's, that it's, that it's exposed me to the world of applications and it's a massive learning curve in terms of how to use the technology and apply. So that was just a start. So, but there's a lot more to talk about that. So I don't know if you want to unpack. <laughs> yes, well, let's see. So, well, okay, tell us about your career path. I mean, so you decided at a fairly early age that AI is the thing for you. Yes, so, so it actually, or interestingly enough, it started with, I was fortunate to get uh, bursaries from various organizations, specifically also Armscore. And I remember my first year, I was at Institute of Maritime Technology, and they were doing things like pattern recognition, looking at torpedoes and all sorts of stuff. Wow, this is interesting. And that was kind of the first applications. And then later on, when I did my honors and masters and so forth, I just realized all the other types of applications um, that's that there. Yeah, so, so the career is, I spent about, obviously, time at university, and then there was five years before I started my first company, when I was still at university, and I was doing postdoc research, and I was collaborating with researchers around the globe, with various areas of neural nets and so forth. I remember also the, the, the Catholic University of Leuven in Belgium, where we, I spent quite a bit of time there as well, uh, collaborating on all sorts of things. But that's, that's where it started. Uh, I was always into computer science. It was a subject at school, extra subject for me. But I would say I think the, the massive learning curve in terms of really the applications was when I was busy with CCN Systems. And uh, I co-founded that with a partner. He was a chemical engineer, Derek Mormon. It's also Derek. <laughs> and so, and that was fascinating. So we've really appointed, we built this team here and it all started in Stellenbosch. Um, actually, our first office was in, at Stellenbosch University and then we moved to Technopark. And then the whole executive team moved to Johannesburg or Pretoria specifically because a lot of our mining customers and financial services customers was up there. And then from there, because we're dealing with multinationals like Beach Billiton, Rio Tinto, and all these customers, Extrata, we went to Australia, US, Canada, all the different places. And, and then we, we went into manufacturing as well. So it was, it was fascinating. And, but I think the key thing was that the problems that we, what we've learned to solve, obviously it's related to the key performance indicators, the business value drivers of these companies. So if it's in the mining, minerals, metals, manufacturing industry, it's really about things like throughput, yield, quality. If it's in the financial services or, or say, customer-facing businesses, it's more about personalized engagement, on-demand. You want to reduce the, the churn, for instance. You want to increase your market share. You want targeted sales and marketing. There's a range of things around that that touches the bottom line of customer-facing uh, businesses. And that's exactly the same right now. Yes. I wanted to ask you about that. So, I mean, it sounds like AI is applicable to just, just about everything and even things we haven't even thought about. It. So just to get the terminology right, you know, there's things called big data and machine learning and data analytics and predictive analytics and data modeling and all that. Is that all sort of different sides of a many-sided coin? <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, so, so the, the way I'm looking at it, I'm actually writing a book now on this where I'm defining all of this. It's about transformative, human-centric, artificial intelligence and how to shape a better future in a smart technology era with this, which is all part of my massive transformative purpose. But in terms, and I'm defining AI there as well. So 
to really to demystify it. So AI is really about systems that obviously you observe, you see the intelligent behavior is software and hardware that you simulate intelligence effectively. But it's really about solving problems. So, and, and specifically, if you've got goals or decisions that need to be made, so you've got AI that's actually driving towards providing solutions for that. So you try to optimize these kind of systems. And typically, it's, uh, if it's a machine learning model, it's an input-output mapping. We've got defeated inputs. You want specific outputs. You want, say, classifications or a decision make, or you want a, a specific regression, which is like you want to predict a specific number or the next, say, price of this equity, the next week, whatever it is. That type of thing, you build input-output mapping, so you make predictions. So AI is really about building systems that can do those type of things and that can learn from data as well. So there's various things there. So AI, that's the broad picture of AI. But if you think about big data, big data is currently, I think, in the world, what you write, what you really get now is structured and unstructured data. And unstructured data is like video, audio, text, all of those type of things. With the introduction of the Internet of Things, IoT, you see also lots of sensor data just becoming available. So when we implemented solutions in the industrial sector, they always had temperature sensors and looking at uh, pressure and all of those type of things. But now we are adding substantial amount of sensors to it as well. So that is creating more big data from that perspective. So the more we instrument the world, the more data is being generated. And that data is really being generated at an exponential scale. So data generation is going exponential. Data utilization is still linear. So that gap is increasing all the time. So big data is really all the data that's being generated. If you think about just your cell phone, the amount of data you generate as an individual, the types of data that the Googles and the Facebooks and social media is getting from individuals, that's logging, that is also contributing to big data. So as humans, with our IoT and with our smartphones, and obviously with the growth of the internet, we have started to really generate incredible amounts of data. So, and obviously AI, machine learning, feeds on that data. So that's why you would find that you get different types of AI. You get expert systems, rule-based systems, but you also get more machine learning-based systems, which is more feeds of data. And basically what it does is to actually create models, which is like programs. It does the, the input-output mapping. It does the prediction for you, but you don't need to program that. So with rules-based systems, you maybe program the rules, but with uh, neural networks or machine learning type of models, you actually just tell it how to learn from data. And then it actually learns from the data and learns that input-output mapping. And it's very general. It's like a universal approximator. So you can decide, it's how do you frame the problem? So you can decide what I want to predict. What is the thing that I want to classify? All of those type of things. This covers such a wide field, obviously. Can you tell me sort of what is excluded? What is not AI? Which What are the common misconceptions about AI, maybe? Yeah, so I would say it's actually fairly broad still because a lot of people say talk about robotic process automation. Is that AR or not? That is doing automation, but it's simple programs that is just obeying certain rules. So that is, so I would say anything that is just your traditional computer science and just your normal programs 
where you don't learn from data as such, where you don't have statistic or probabilistic type of models that you create, that would not constitute pure AI. Although, if you think about expert systems, symbolic stuff that you generate, and just plain statistics, it is being categorized now under as because you can generate models using statistics. You can get great regression models. Maybe it doesn't learn from that, but it still needs data to actually do the regression. And you can compare the outputs of, a, say, a traditional statistical model with a neural network model. And you can see, okay, which is better. And what you typically find is that with true AI machine learning based systems, that, that's maybe, maybe the core difference. Give me an example of how, how prevalent is AI already? How do we see it? What, or, or how do we not see it even? <laughs> so, how does it affect our lives? <laughs> Yeah, so the, I would say the simplest way um, right now is if you think everybody is using Google or they're using, say they're using Amazon. So if you want to do searches and it comes up with um, relevant recommendations or it comes up with relevant information, there's already AI utilized there. Obviously, AI has been utilized in translations, so it doesn't matter what, what language. And that is actually using some of the state of the art. So Google is using the state of the art in natural language processing currently. And you can see the difference between, say, 10 years ago versus now. I would say the other ma massive things that everyone can see is obviously things like Google Maps. Uber is using AI to do the optimization around the right drivers. It's not just connect people, the, uh, users and drivers, for instance. If you think about Netflix, if you think about Amazon, Amazon recommending books, Netflix recommending movies, Spotify recommending music. There's behind that models that say people like you has, obviously you've got models that predict what people like you like and then makes recommendations based on the information that you are providing. So, so that, that is just obviously looking at similarities that is building these kind of recommendations around these kind of things. So for instance, Spotify would, um, well, I use that. I find it very interesting that from the first couple of songs I chose, they started recommending stuff that I really like, some that I didn't even know that existed. And the more you use it, the more accurate they get, you know, the more the lists come out. So that's an example, obviously, of AI. <laughs> and I think, Doug, you're 100% right. So I think this is where you also can see a distinguishing factor. If you see that kind of thing, even with intelligent virtual assistants, where you want this personalized engagement, you see a system that learns from data, or you see this recommendation that's getting better, your YouTube, is getting with better recommendation things that you constantly click and like and so forth. Then you know you're busy. At the back of that is an AI machine learning system. You say you're one of the pioneers. How competitive is South Africa in the, in the field of AI internationally? I think things have grown. When I started, I did my PhD in 95. I finished, I think, 94, 95. I got that time. So that was very early days. That was like the AI winter. And there was not a lot of happening, happening in South Africa around that, or Africa for that matter. But things obviously exploded, I would say, 10 years after that. And especially this decade was just tremendous. So you see a lot more people. And as a matter of fact, you will see some of the engineers and some AI experts that's not also working at Google DeepMind or Google Brain. So, so there are some experts and there are people that's quite good in reinforcement learning and some of the various areas of AI machine learning. I think we're getting better. Africa is getting better in general. And it's also things like, for instance, with Google's it's got their initiatives for the African continent where they actually have this in Davos. They call it deep learning in Davos. 
And the Machine Intelligence Institute of Africa, a nonprofit organization that I've started in 2016, is also collaborating and helping with that as well. So in terms of competitors, I think it's getting much better. It's picking up. It's ramping up. I don't feel we stand, we are competitive. As you see, we've, we've sold, for instance, my first AI company was an example of world-beating type of software that was acknowledged by General Electric at that time as being key software that makes a massive difference, and that, that's why they acquired us. Um, so that was, for me, a, a, at least a case in point. But I think there's more examples like that evolving now in various industries, financial services sector and I joined the company just in between, before I started Cortex Logic, Cortex Group, which is now a next generation AI company. And by the way, we live in a different era now. We can talk about that as well, the API economy, plug and play, and how we apply AI now versus how I did it with CSense. There's, there's vast differences. In that time, we did everything proprietary. So we wrote our own software from scratch, everything from scratch. There's no, no open source. And currently, we live in a world where Google and every well, you see this open source. Everybody's making their software available, so it's like out of play, and it's now using proprietary software with open source, with commercial APIs, and it's now the trick is now to actually use this AI toolbox or this massive smart technology toolbox to create solutions. So that's what we need to be very good at. But I think South Africa is getting better with that now. Yeah. Give us a couple of examples. I mean, obviously not disclosing any confidential information. What sort of things do you currently do for clients, companies, or other organizations? Yes, so I'll give you some examples. So one of the examples is we were looking at hospital benefit management. Now, if you think about, without naming names, currently with, for some of the medical schemes, you do have a situation where you've got just people allowed to go to hospitals and stuff without any proper checking in terms of it doesn't make sense for them to go. Is it just going to be unnecessary cost. So there's lots of fraud, waste, and abuse. Maybe the abuse part is part of that as well. So it's important for them to look at exceptions. So we've got an AI system that's actually picking up the exceptions where it could lead to length of stay, which is um, abnormal. It could lead to cost that will be abnormal. So if you can predict that upfront, you can save them money. So, So that's one example. Another example is where we're looking at, say, home loans, and we're looking at dynamic personalized pricing for home loans. Another example would be around identification of fraud, waste, and abuse. So AI machine learning is quite good at uh, detecting anomalies. So we've got examples where we've identified 100 million rands of fraud, so just in specific areas as well. So those type of things are, are, are obviously beneficial. And I think also very important things, if you think about customer-facing businesses, to actually reduce churn, to understand your customer and understand where churn is happening. That's a big focus. So we've got quite a good grip on those kind of type of solutions. What we also do is things, for instance, in, in the minerals, metals, mining industry, it's about throughput, yield, and quality. You optimize a plant or if you're looking at predictive maintenance. So if you look at various equipment, expensive equipment, and the equipment is not available for processing in a plant. And we've got examples, and I, I can maybe, without mentioning, so I'm not going to mention customers, but for these customers, they do have, and what we find is that there is, in many instances, suboptimal 
use of the equipment where the equipment is is not available and and if it's not available that means i can't produce and if systems say looking at a grinder for instance at a say, say at a platinum plant or a gold and that thing is not working in a proper way or a furnace you've got high temperatures you've got runaway temperatures in the furnace and the furnace breaks and stuff like that then you can't continue the process if you look at manufacturing their qualities is critical. So the, the, you need to adhere to the very specific quality standards. And if you've got rejects, that's obviously a massive problem. So if you can reduce the rejects, that would be a massive thing as well. So, so what I like about the problems here is it actually touches the business value drivers of these companies. And by modeling processes, could be manufacturing processes, chemical processes, you can model a piece of equipment. For GE, for instance, we've modeled, say, a jet engine. And there's about, say, 20 to 2,000 sensors around that. And then that sensor is providing inputs. So that allows you to build a model because you're getting real-time data from that. And this is exactly the same for all the other pieces of equipment and all the other processes. The more you instrument that, the more data you have available, and that allows you to actually create these models. And then once you've got a model, you've got something powerful because you, the model is then kind of a digital twin of that process or that equipment or even a business. Just think about if you can model the business with its supply chain and you can then detect what is the causes for process deviation. And those are the kind of things you can troubleshoot your business in, in a much better way. You can run simulations around this as well. On that point, I mean, for you to be appointed at a company to do a job or to do a project, you obviously need a manager that's that thinks about the business, <laughs> not somebody who, uh, you know, when you ask him, so what should we do here? He says, well, what did we do last year? <laughs> and unfortunately, in my job as a consultant, I often see that uh, people don't, you know, think that what made them successful last year and this year is going to make them successful next year as well. And of course, we all know the world is changing very quickly. I mean, a year ago, who would have predicted where we are now? <laughs> just exactly. one, just one year ago. So unbelievable. So what is unbelievable. what is the typical manager, the kind of guy that appoints your company to do an AI intervention, is obviously not not your normal run of the mill manager. Bear in mind that we live in a compliance economy, and everybody's too scared to take risks. <laughs> I think what's happening because of the hype, there's almost like a drive from executive management now to so. We need to do something here. What are we implementing? Where's the quick wins? Can we create examples of how we can get the benefits from? Can we utilize our data? All the data that sits there, not being utilized, can we create value from that? Can we create business value? And I think it's, and I'm going to talk about the persons as well, but I also just wanted to mention, we live in this data is the new oil. We, We get this incredible opportunities to unlock data. And it's not just to create these models for the business value drivers, it's also an opportunity to create different business models. And you, you can utilize the data as an asset to do something else as well and maybe go and enhance your business strategy as well. But the types of people is obviously you need people that, that sees the value of smart technology and the, and the underlying value of data. And it varies. So just to give you an example, so I was at one of the recent banks, one of our big customers was in the banking financial services industry. And we sat with their executive team and we've brainstormed. So I had a two-day workshop 
And we went through various use cases of how AI can potentially be applied and can make an impact. And we've identified 15 different use cases, and then we've selected one of them. And in that instance, it was the dynamic pricing for home loans because you think about the big banks, 1% increase in market share is billions of rands. So if you, you have got that kind of leverage, that is huge. So, so I think it, you need to have management buying. It makes it so much easier. Otherwise, you're going to start maybe from the ground up and it's going to be more maybe showing a little small piece for which they've got a budget. You maybe optimize something small. Also in the industrial space, you typically deal with, say, the production manager where they are obviously they want, to, they want to optimize the production. So you're speaking to the right person that's got the, his business value drivers or the value drivers for him is around how can I optimize my process and production and I want to adhere to that. If you can help me as an AI partner to do that, that, that is great. So we do find that, but I think it's on various layers. But if it's on a management level and where you can move the needle, I think there's incredible opportunities to, to, to actually uh, make a bigger difference as well. And maybe just want to quickly say something on that. So I think you get different types of businesses that are on different maturity paths around this. And one thing that I've always used at CSENS and at GE and that I'm using in Portex as well is this big data analytics or AI maturity as well. And there's five pillars. And the first one starts with intent or strategy. So you need to look at the use cases and how, why, what is the business case for what you ever want to do. The technology is just they support you so to, to make a difference there. So the intent strategy is very important. But then the other four has to do with the data, the technology, the people, and the processes. And the various companies, they are at different stages of maturity around that as well. So when we implement quick win solutions where you show the impact, you also help them with their maturity in terms of where they are in terms of data technology. Maybe they don't have all the instrumentation. They don't have systems. They don't have everything digital. So how do you get them to a state where things are digital? So that's a key point. And sometimes for some of the businesses, you need to implement sensors. You need to get systems in place. A lot of instances you find that companies that are data is in silos. This department not talking to this department, make, not making data available to this department. And it's actually crazy. You need access, rapid access to all available data. So, so that is key. So just helping businesses on that front and solving a very specific problem. And then the last comments around that would be, if you implement a solution and you automate certain things, it might have an impact on roles and jobs or tasks within jobs. So one needs to be responsible in there and say, how does this job how does the task change? And just help, be, just be responsible there so one can be dynamic around the whole solution that you implement because it affects people and, and you need to help people and train them to actually utilize the technology. So that's a very important thing that we need to do as well. And then, so the process and people, yeah. So, I mean, one of my current roles is as chairman of the risk committee of the board of the holding company of a, a group of insurance companies that I'm on the board. And I always say they'll never invent a computer that can but can do my job because they, as far as I know, maybe you can correct me, but they haven't yet discovered a computer that knows how to worry. <laughs> yeah. We're, 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 I think we're still far away. That's why the, the, the book that I'm writing is really on, and the thinking and the thoughts of, is really around how do we create more that kind of human-centric 
world where we utilize technology in a smart way to help us in, in that way. So, so to help shape that better future. We shouldn't, it shouldn't be the other way around. We should be just clever and clear around how we deploy these technologies. My question on that thing is so how real are people's concerns about potential job losses and maybe being reluctant to implement something which might take their job away? Hmm. I, I, would, I would be concerned as well because it goes back to the leadership in companies as well. And not only that, it's, it's, it's the whole ecosystem. So we need to think about how do we reward people and how do we build solutions because we will definitely find that in the future there will be certain things, process flows, just being automated and, and so forth. So it will have an impact on jobs. But there will be clearly jobs created around this as well because you need to feed these kind of systems and, and they will be more creative and other types of things. So I, what I think is we need to re-engineer uh, society, actually. So that's, a, that's why it's going to be a – we need to think about the impact – uh, how do we value teaching or jobs that's looking after the welfare of people? Uh, it's almost like the human side and of services. We need to value that more and put people in a position to utilize the technology but uh, so, so in a proper way to help be productive. But we, we need to redefine what is, it, uh, what, what is valuable to us as well. So I, I, th- I think there's, there's, so there's a, anyway, there, there's, a, there's a big... That's a big topic in its own right. So I think we, we, we are, as, as with AI machine learning, what you would find, Derek, is that in the future, as it gets better with understanding meaning and better with natural language processing, and we are definitely on that path, you would find more systems able to engage in a natural way with humans. Now, which is good because currently, if you look at computers, we need keyboards, we need mouses and stuff. So in the future, you just talk to your computer or you come into a room and, and you've got uh, kind of, it's got, say, instruments here and intelligence. It, it would help to, to, it will do things. It would, it would um, and, and you can engage. So it makes it, so it goes back to more natural communication with the world, with the systems out there, even with your car and all of it. It doesn't mean that they've got necessarily consciousness or anything like that. It is just, You've got these systems that's there, and as long as it's there to support us in the world that we like. So it's very important to define the society in the world that we prefer to live in. So it's actually big topics that comes into play. What does that future business world look like? What is that future world like that we want? Um, so I, and it, for me, it's like a canvas. And, and I think the danger is if we just let it go, we just, we, if we don't, control the situation where we say, okay, let's redefine, let's look at our economy, let's look at society. We need to be visionary around what we want. And I, my, 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 I'm just afraid that if we just let it go, for instance, lethal autonomous weapons, if we just let it go, that people can just do that. I mean, there's no regulation around that. That could create a really bad scenario. I'm also afraid of digital dictatorship. So if you think of what's happening in China, for instance, that could easily go to that scenario, which would be really bad. So we still we live in dangerous times here. We need to make wise choices. That sounds, uh, so, yeah, well, as I said a year ago, we didn't know what today would look like. We didn't have a bloody clue. So uh, would you like to make a prediction about what the world would look like in three years' time? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know 2020. I thought 2020 is going to be... Uh, Incredible year where there's no, not going to be these kind of things. So I, I, I'm not sure. It's three years' time. What I think 
I think the, the world has learned, hopefully, some lessons around health and the danger around pandemics and stuff. And Because these kind of things can happen again. Because we're talking about us with globalization. Obviously, there will, might be other trends around this now as well. But I think we still are connected. We still have ways to go everywhere on this planet and fairly quickly. And we engage with people as well. That's not going to go away. That we already have, even though you have people that sit in different countries and so forth, I think we're still going to have this highly connected world. Obviously, the internet is there. It's just going to get better with 5G and all of these kind of things. So I think we can expect a lot more. And I think, I think what happened with COVID-19, just to interrupt myself there, I think with COVID-19, you know, even with schools, my brother, for instance, he's a math teacher, and he didn't really use tools. He just barely used his smartphone. Now he's just bragging about how he's using digital classrooms and he's doing this and that. He can't leave the power of smart technology. So, so it's almost like things have been... Fast-forwarded. <laughs> it accelerates mm-hmm. things as mm-hmm. well towards this kind of world where... And I think we will see virtual reality, augmented reality. You will see a smart technology playing even a bigger role and probably... It's been pushed forward a little bit. So we've got to be ready for that world. Data, technology, AI is going to be with us, uh, but we just need to be wise in the way we apply it. And that's why with Mia, my massive transformative purpose is also how to shape that better future in the smart technology era. I want to see, can I make a, a contribution to help doing that? So we obviously in Africa, we want to help transform Africa. I think education is probably one of the biggest things that we need to address here at scale. And I've got lots of ideas around that as well. But AI and smart technology can play an incredible role. And I would love to see how we utilize that to, to that effect. I'd probably go on and on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I, but that's, you know, because you're passionate about the subject and, and, and more people should be like that. But thanks very much. It's been a fascinating talk. It's been great to have you on the show. If you as the listener have any comments or questions or if you just want to get in touch, just please pop it on the comment section of our website, which is www.notjustbusiness.com. That's with hyphens, not hyphen, just hyphen business.com. Thank you for listening.